0: Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 21. I'm not going to read the entire chapter here. Luke 21 is also associated with Matthew chapter 24 and Mark chapter 13. As we study the subject of eschatology or of the last days of what will befall this world, and today I will once again mention the church that professes to be of Jesus, We were taught and we are told in the scriptures what it will be like. So if you're with me in Luke chapter 21, let me begin by reading at the 25th verse. Now if you just look quickly at Luke 21, you'll see there's a lot that precedes these few verses that I'm going to read. But I will mention some of them from this chapter and from chapter 24 of Matthew during the message. There shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth Draweth nigh or near. When you see these things, look up, for your redemption is very near. Stephen Hawking was, without a doubt, considered to be one of the greatest minds of 20th, 21st centuries. Many admirers, many who have studied his works, and marvel at the insights he had into the universe. died suddenly just a few years ago, five years ago, I think it was. And so now people are interested in, what was Stephen Hawking's last words? And actually it's codified in a book that was published posthumously after his death. And it's called, Brief Answers to the Big Questions. Of which we find this statement that we could include in Stephen Hawking's, what was it, 60 years of studying the stars? The sun, moon, and the stars that we see here, mentioned by Jesus. After all those years, Stephen Hawking makes this statement in this book that was collated and put together by his family. There is no God. No one is running the universe. As you know, Stephen Hawking was an atheist. My mind immediately went from what millions of people consider to be the most brilliant mind or one of the most brilliant minds perhaps that ever lived to the book of Psalms. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Now, there's an irony that I find in studying secular sources, of people who discover things, that they give an unintended witness and testimony to this book. And that's why I often quote as much as possible from secular sources, so that anyone that has an objection could not possibly say, well, the case is prejudiced because they're already a Christian trying to promote the Bible. So most of what you're going to hear today are not coming from Christian sources, but secular sources. You might be interested to know just what did Stephen Hawking believe, among other things. He believed that there was actually intelligent alien life out there. It's one of the world's most admired people. He believed that, uh, well, you know, climate change and the ocean, temperatures rising and uh, overpopulation and people standing shoulder to shoulder, where the temperature of the planet would reach 482 degrees Fahrenheit, so that we would be like Venus. His plan, his proposed plan, somewhat like Elon Musk, is the only chance that man has for survival is to get off the planet and colonize space. Well, if you know anything about astrophysics, that's quite a challenge. It's a lot of stuff to get through before you reach another planet. In any case, He also believed that artificial intelligence, which you're seeing more and more of on your computers, uh, you open up your Google Mail, your Gmail, and it already has responses for you. Secret Service used to say years ago that we read your mail for you so that you don't have to. But he believed that artificial intelligence not only could be very problematic, but it could actually conquer the human race because of the ability to have genetically modified human beings that were impervious, pretty much impervious to disease. And then my mind goes to the book of the Revelation where we see these very odd, oddly described and pictured creatures, where for years people would laugh and most of us would look at it and say, well, these are metaphoric and they're symbolic of other things, yet we already live in an age when we have genetically modified nature, and we're still doing it. I'm not saying he's correct in all that he said. I'm just simply saying that it's a wonder to me that men will go to a man who said in his last publication, there is no God, no one's running the universe. And I find that to be, well, entertaining in some respects intellectually, because you can look and look and look and look and look, and, look and as the expression goes, you can't see the trees for the forest, or you can't see the forest or the trees either way. You can get so close to something and come up with this, There is no God. No one is running the universe. Then he talks about the Big Bang theory and that there was nothing before there was time. Big Bang initiated time. And then his conclusion, by the way, was that God couldn't exist because before the Big Bang, there was no time. Therefore, God couldn't exist. And I suppose he never heard of the fact that God is uncreated, that God created time. In any case, I make this point that secular sources, as you're going to see, I'm going to read to you from some, can figure out what many professing Christians don't seem like they can figure out, which, again, will definitely prove to be problematic in the end. Well, might I mention that he believed that one of the ways the Earth could be... That he, he believed that humanity would be destroyed. An asteroid collision that killed the dinosaurs is one possibility. say so all these possibilities, but he believed that humanity would be destroyed. It's odd, in my mind, to say, well, the Bible does say that, but it doesn't say all humanity. It says for us to come to Jesus that we might be saved from that. But one of the world's most admired men put out these statements. He's not the only one. And yet he says there is no God. What I want to talk to you today about are the signs of the times. That for anyone who believes in Jesus Christ. Though the signs no doubt are difficult to think about. You're going to probably find these to be difficult to entertain. As you hear the facts coming from secular sources. Yet they are the facts and the signs that we see jesus says as we just read it here when you see these things begin to come to pass look up for your redemption he means i'm very close to returning and i won't say this again i have said it recently i've always believed in the second coming of christ but never did i seriously entertain that it could happen at this late stage of my own life that it could happen in my lifetime and my kids my children my grandchildren certainly yeah, But now the signs are multiplying so quickly, so quickly, and you're observing them. So let me just cherry pick, literally cherry pick, certain of the signs spoken of here in Luke 21 and also Matthew 24, Mark 13, and just give you an idea of these signs that we're seeing. And the first one that I want to bring to your attention is found in Matthew, where Jesus says, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many will grow cold. And we're seeing that. But the word iniquity, as you may recall, is anomia in Greek, and it means lawless. Now, you every day in the news here in America and across the world are seeing more and more lawlessness that is supported by people and justified by people. But just yesterday in the New York Post, this was the headlines of a law that you may be aware of. I'm sure you are. Uh, In Illinois, the headline reads, Illinois, no cash bail law will turn the state into the purge. Now, the purge was a horror film. I didn't see it, but it's a horror film. And the plot of the film is that citizens can go out one night in the year and they can kill and commit any crime they want without any repercussions. The purge. I'll read the headline again from the New York Post. This is yesterday, as a matter of fact. Illinois no-cash-bail law will turn the state into the purge, and obviously this is an opinion of the writer. The unbelievable will soon happen in my home state of Illinois on January the 1st, 2023. At midnight, a very real version of the purge will be enacted via the 2021 Safety Act law. Safety, Accountability, Fairness, and Equity Today Act will completely eliminate cash bail for the majority of defendants charged with criminal acts. Judges will decide whether or not to release defendants on a case-by-case basis, based on if they feel a person poses a threat to the community or is a flight risk. Seeing as many Illinois judges rule like progressive activists, it is likely they will send many criminals back into communities without hesitation. And the article goes on, he goes on to state, We're not talking about nonviolent crimes like, say, jumping a railway turnstile or even stealing food from the grocery store. There will be no bail or automatic detainment for second-degree murder, kidnapping, armed robbery, drug-induced homicide, aggravated DUI, and so on. Of course, the concern of many, many people, especially in law enforcement, is that we will have the purge. We will have people who can go out and commit a crime knowing I can't be detained unless the judge decides to. But because the progressive, I told you, according to David Horowitz, was another name in his family for communists. That's not the idea here. A progressive, when he's sitting on the bench as a judge, means they're making up the law and not adhering to the law. And Jesus said that when he was to return, there would be lawlessness as we see in the days of Noah, which I won't talk about today. We also saw that in the days of Lot, where God's laws and even man's laws based on God's laws will be disregarded. You're seeing that. We read in Matthew chapter 24 also about, you'll hear of wars, but I won't go into that today because it's too obvious. We know of these wars that are going on around the world But Jesus said, kingdom will rise against kingdom. The Greek word underlying the word for kingdom means a nation, like you had in First World War, Germany, France, let's say. Two kingdoms, two countries. But when he mentions nation shall rise against nation, the Greek word is ethnos. One ethnic group against another ethnic group. And here is another headline and a bit of an article written in the New Republic in April of this year, 2022. The headline reads, we are living in the age of civil war. The author states, "Intranation nation conflicts are on the rise, and No, the United States is not immune. We are living in an age of civil war. Keeping in mind, this is a secular source. Civil wars were almost non-existent until the 20th century. Except in a handful of cases, the American and English civil wars, the French Revolution, it was rare for citizens to mobilize soldiers to fight for control of their government. Since 1946, more than 250 civil wars have broken out around the world, and after a dip in the 1990s, their numbers continue to increase. Civil war. There are now almost 50% more civil wars than there were in 2001. Today's civil wars are being fought in Iraq, Syria, Libya, Yemen, Chad, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Nigeria, Pakistan, Somalia, South Sudan, Mali, Ethiopia, the Central African Republic, and elsewhere. In India and Malaysia, smaller intrastate conflicts have the potential to develop into something much worse. Even countries we thought could never experience another civil war, such as the United States and the United Kingdom, are showing signs of unrest. We are, it turns out, living in the age of civil war. Now, it's going to be difficult to absorb everything that you're going to hear. And realize that it's put in very succinct form by Jesus. But the information age in which we live, everything's coming at us so quickly. It's tough to use a colloquial expression. It's tough to wrap your mind around it. But it's happening. And I'm bringing these things to you so that we would understand the coming of Christ is very close. Dates we don't name, we don't know, but very close. And as the Bible says, the book says, prepare to meet your God. One that I deal with, as you know, on my daily broadcast that I do, called The Oasis, deals specifically with anxiety and depression. But the question is begged here in one headline, why is mental illness on the rise? And Before I go into that, let's look at verse 26. If your Bible is still open in Luke chapter 21, it says, men's hearts will be failing them for fear. That's an anxiety. And we can include a depression. Men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. It's rather specific. But here it says, why is mental illness on the rise? It's true that our life is much easier today than it was 50 years ago, and this is very ironic as well, a paradox. Our life is much easier today than it was 50 years ago, yet mental illness is on the rise and drastically. A study by researchers from NYU Langone Medical Center published earlier this year in the journal Psychiatric services found more Americans than ever before suffer from serious psychological distress. And I think everybody here can relate to that. Stress just seems to be piling up. Another article says mental illness is on the rise. Millions of Americans have serious psychological distress. Another article which was in Psychology Today, are mental health issues on the rise? These studies conclude that anxiety and depression are markedly higher than they were in earlier eras. They examine age groups from children to middle-aged adults and span the medical and psychological literature. Many are nationally representative samples. Article after article talking about mental health issues are on the rise. And here you have verse 26 specifying why, though in all cases of mental health, this is not why, but it lends credibility to the statement of Jesus near the coming the return of jesus christ his second coming we would have all these things happening at once jesus also mentioned rumors of wars and so we hear that too and i'm not going to accent that but all of this information is accessible to anybody that wants to look it up but i want to talk to you now just for a moment about false teachers inside the church which jesus mentions also keeping in mind that these are signs and that they're all happening all at once in our age Now, this author, he states about false teachers, he gives 10 common traits of false teachers, and it is his opinion, I was thinking as I read through here, I could probably amend this a bit and add a few, maybe not accent as much as he did certain things. But he says here, I can guarantee you that if you ask 10 Christians what their biggest pet peeve is about their local church, at least nine of them will say something along the lines of false teachings. He said that the things that people would consider Christian, but which actually contradict the Word of God, by adding or taking away from the Word of God, is what constitutes a false teaching. We've covered this many, many times. This is the book. Here is the front cover. It starts at the book of Genesis. Here is the back cover. It ends in the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. That's his second coming. In between the covers are 31,106 verses on all types of subjects. But the main subject of the Bible is always God's plan that he's been working out from the beginning of time or right after that so-called big bang. And I think it was a big bang because God spoke the universe into existence. And I pointed out Stephen Hawking, and there's others too, who don't debate that. It was a big bang. But before that, there can't be a God because there's no time. And this, I don't know how he rationalized because God is outside of time. God is eternal. Let me just say something here as a way of exhortation. Get your eyes off of time. Time passes. The most difficult circumstances pass. Even the best of circumstances, they all pass. But God never passes. Amen. Anyway, this author stated the 10 common false teachings in the church today. Number one, Jesus Christ is not divine. Number two, no one can be holy. Number three, you can't be sure of your salvation. Number four, there is no hell. Then he mentions the prosperity gospel. Once you're saved, you're always saved. All religions are basically the same. Universalism, that means everybody goes to heaven. Salvation by good works and that there is no Trinity. I could amend that, I think, and either add or subtract or modify that somewhat, but it's pretty much the case. I would say, in my view, there is so much false teaching going on today that the only way that you could know what is the truth is that you read this book and you read it diligently and you commit yourself to it. I was thinking to myself yesterday in preparation for this message, and I've told this to you and others before, I have no clue. I don't know why God chose me to know the things I know. I don't know why. I only know that he did. And as I was meditating on this message to bring to you, I was thinking about how blessed I am, as an individual, just me. I'm not saying others aren't blessed. I was thinking about myself and how blessed I am, that God led me to the book, and he led me to the book all by myself. I didn't hear seminars, I didn't hear preachers, maybe other than Billy Graham, but I was drawn to the book from a young age and I've dedicated my life to knowing this book and I was thinking to myself how grateful and how glad I am. In the 119th Psalm it says it's made me wiser than my teachers, wiser than the ancients, and it's all right there for anybody to read it. But very few people do, and that includes professing Christians. Very few people do. Jesus also talked about famines and here's an article these are all from this year 2022 in the European Union Times there was this article and it said global listen global famine to plague earth from 2022 to 2024 which is pretty specific listen is set in motion and cannot be stopped this is secular source not Christian And the article went on to say this, a convergence of horrifying events have set into motion an irreversible collapse of food production and crop harvests that will lead to global famine all the way through 2024. These events cannot be stopped for the simple reason that plants take time to grow. You cannot create crops instantly. And if they don't get planted or they get destroyed, there's no instant replacement. That makes sense. Then they go on to list the reasons for the coming global famine include floods and droughts, causing sharp drops in crop production in China, Russia, and the USA, among other nations. Economic sanctions against Russia, causing a halting of exports for food and fertilizer. War in Ukraine, leading to a halting of the 2022 planting season for wheat, corn, soy, and other crops. War in the Black Sea, blocking ship movements in the ports, such as Odessa, which normally export crops, the Biden administration shutting down of fossil fuel production in the USA, adding significant costs to fertilizers and agricultural operations, global fiat currency, money printing, making food inflation reach atrocious levels. Importantly, all this coalesces into two primary problems that will now accelerate across the world. Number one, food scarcity. Number two, food inflation. And Jesus talks about that. Famines, plagues, pestilences, earthquakes, we'll get to that. Wars, rumors of wars, civil wars, all going on right now, right now. Time magazine, again, this is just, I'm reading you a headline just from a few days ago on pestilence. Time magazine, September the 15th. The headline says, why infectious disease outbreaks are becoming so common. We've jumped from famine and war and civil war and false teachers. I'm just cherry picking. I'm not even putting them in order to now pestilences, diseases. Why infectious diseases, outbreaks are becoming so common. Time magazine wrote this, We are going through an era of epidemics and pandemics, and they're going to be more complex and more frequent, says Jeremy Farrar, director of Wellcome, a global health charitable foundation that addresses health challenges. Quote, We tend to see each outbreak in its own right, as an individual episode, but the truth is that they are almost all a symptom of underlying drivers, all of which are part of the 21st century. Let me just take a break here, and before I go on to my next subject to accent as a sign, to say this. I grew up in an year where your friends another you know, kid, would come to you and say, hey, I got good news and bad news. They were called good news, bad news jokes, and that's where they were designed to just be humorous. But that is what the Bible, when it comes to eschatology, that's precisely what the Bible is announcing. Good news and bad news. The word gospel, you know, means good news. So these signs that we see, no matter how terrible they are, is a cause for us to now look more intently on Christ, on his word, on the life of prayer, on fellowship with other Christians, which I'm going to mention in a moment, is not what is happening for many. It's not what is happening for many. But we'll get to that. But all these things leads us to say, even so, come Lord Jesus. The reason that we have so many troubles inside the church is very simple. People have lost their faith in the truth that God actually wrote this. That God actually inspired, as we use the word, and the Bible uses the word in 2 Timothy 3.16... That God actually breathed upon these 40 authors and said, record this. Put this down. This is what is going to happen. The attraction of the Bible for the discriminate, unprejudiced individual is that it records the future accurately. It prophesies about the future, most of which has already come to pass, literally. And we can expect it to come to pass in the future, in our days, literally. We're already witnessing it. We're seeing it. But it should never be a cause of distress for you. Cling to Christ. You will never regret that you did. Let me say this at this juncture. You can downsize all of your fears, all of your anxieties, all of your troubles to one thing. The fear of the Lord. For which there's something positive attached to every time that phrase is mentioned in Psalms and Proverbs. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's the knowledge of the holy. It brings health, strength, and all these things. I wanna pick from verse 25, and there shall be signs in the sun, moon, and the stars. I wanna just talk about this very debatable, and for me, it's an intriguing subject, maybe not for you, of UFOs. Are they real? Well, from the literature that I've read over the years, most unbiased experts will say that 90% of these unidentifying flying objects can be explained some way naturally. But there's a 10% that they agree on that there is no rational explanation. Avi Loeb is a world-respected astrophysicist. He was the head of the astrophysics department in Harvard, well-known, well-respected. He's Jewish. I don't suspect, uh, I don't know that he's made any profession, that he's become a Christian. So we have what I'll consider to be, he may be a religious Jew, but I'll consider this to be a secular source on this subject. And some years back, not just a few years ago, there was this object that appeared over Hawaii that looked like a cigar when you looked at it this way. Then if you turn it on its side, it was flat and looked elliptical. This was his opinion written in his book. One inference of this object called muamua, one inference is agreed to by everyone who has studied the data. This visitor, when compared to every other object that astronomers have ever studied, was exotic. What he means by exotic is that its origin is not of this earth. It's not of this world. The subject that everyone has studied was exotic. And the hypothesis some offered up to account for all of the objects observed peculiarities are likewise exotic, meaning not coming from earth, not coming from the hand of man. I submit the simplest explanation for these peculiarities is that the object was created by an intelligent civilization, not. Of this earth. Now keep in mind, I'm not quoting from some person who has a hobby sitting about a computer with conspiracy theories and all of these things. This is a world renowned astrophysicist <coughs> stating this was not from our earth. This came from some other intelligent life somewhere else in the universe. Now I'm not validating that what he's saying is accurate because I certainly don't know. But Jesus said what? There would be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, signs in the universe. We're seeing those signs, too. I won't even mention the discoveries, not only of the Hubble telescope, but of the Webb telescope now, too. We're seeing parts of the universe that never was seen by any other generation since the beginning of time. So now I go to a Christian source. Hugh Ross is likewise an astrophysicist. He is a Christian. And this is his quote from his book, Lights in the Sky and Little Green Men. He writes, Lynn Cato, a senior bibliographer for the Library of Congress, and they have a lot of books. Listen." A senior bibliographer, Lynn, I don't know if it's Kato or Kato, for the Library of Congress agrees in reviewing 1,600 reports, that's 1,600 books and articles on UFO phenomenon. She recognized that, quote, listen, many of the UFO reports now being published in the popular press recounted alleged incidents that are strikingly similar to demonic possession and psychic phenomenon, which have long been known to theologians and parapsychologists. James McCampbell, Jacques Lemaitre, and many other physicists who devote significant time to researching UFOs conclude that residual UFOs must be malevolent manifestations from beyond the space-time dimensions of this universe. To say concisely, what you Ross is saying is that they are demonic. We read in the Bible this all the time. Jesus spent much time casting out devils, spirit persons, beings, spirit beings, from people's lives. Satan is introduced to us in the third chapter of Genesis as the ruling power of this world under God. Principalities and powers of Ephesians 6. We read of the mysterious appearance of beings that look like men and come and go and disappear called angels. It's in the book. It's in the Bible. And again, I'm not trying to validate the work of other people. I'm just simply saying they give testimony to what you have read in the Bible if you've read the Bible. And let me ask you this question today. In the present state of affairs here and across the globe what book are you going to dedicate yourself to no other religious book looks into the future and say this is exactly how it's going to happen and no other book has the record that the bible has of saying it came to pass exactly that way just think of israel go back into isaiah jeremiah ezekiel go through daniel and find out that god said you know what i'm going to take you off the land i'm going to give it to the gentiles But then the day will come that I'll bring you back to the land. For almost 2,000 years, Israel did not exist, just as the prophets said. And just as the prophets also said, and it was 1946, not all but so many Jews just began to return to their land. And they're still returning, just like God said. And you can look through hundreds of prophecies just like that. What other book are you going to read? What other book is going to bring you deliverance? This book, the Bible, is the one you need to know. Oh, you say, well, I'm not a scholar. Well, your pastor's not a scholar. But I know how to read, and I know how to think, and I certainly know how to pray. And I will say this to you. I don't know everything about the Bible. I don't. But I don't trouble myself about that. I just keep reading it and reading it and reading it, praying for wisdom, praying for understanding. God, you know, show me in all of this. And then I watch it play out in my personal life, in the lives of others around me. I watch it play out in our country, in this world. And it's at that point that something very peculiar happens to you and to me that god communicates his reality and i say this with all due respect because one of the rules of the road is that you don't speak evil of dead people so i'm not going to take an advantage on stephen hawking who i mentioned in the beginning of this message but i'm simply going to say that for all his peering into the universe his eyes were hid now he could see black holes and understand them and explain them i suppose they're correct i don't know And he could see all those things, but his eyes were blinded to the creator of all those things. The Jews, when they listened to Jesus in the early years, the apostles would come to say, why do you speak in riddles? Why are you speaking these things no one can understand? he says, because it's given to you to know, but it's not given for them to know. Now, I don't control that. God controls that. But I will say this, even for someone who peers into the Bible, God can do this. So that you know what all the words are. But the understanding and the reality of God is not there. But when you have it, no matter how difficult this world is, and this is part of it. It's not the whole thing either. There's a stability that always keeps you on balance. And if you have that today, thank God for it. Amen. Your life is not easy. And my life is not easy. And the lives of my children are not easy. And God help us, the lives of my grandchildren will not be easy. But that's why we are introduced to the word save saved God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him shall be saved let me mention also read the fifth chapter of Job and other places too but read the fifth chapter of Job are there famines yes are there plagues and pestilences yes but God has promised and God has his own ways because he is God of supplying for his own for his people for those that believe on him and that's our hope Our hope is in the God who for us does miracles, but for him, it's no miracle. Speaks a word. I'm reading in Daniel. Just finished it this morning, as a matter of fact. How all the kingdoms are in his hand. That he gives his world, his planet, to whoever he wants. Oh, so we have problems in here and there. And God says, yeah, because I'm working out something in these people. God's working something out. And you will find a stability, no matter how much the ship rocks back and forth, you will find yourself having sea legs. And your ship has Jesus in it, and it's going to reach the other shore. The other ships on the water, no, they're not going to make it. Your ship has Jesus in it, though he's asleep, or seems to be asleep in the back, while the storm rages, and the water fills the boat, and we're perplexed we're saying okay i read good things in the bible where are they lord and don't you care that we're perishing and he stands up and he says to the sea peace be still and it's calm and we say who is this man that even the winds and the sea obey him that's what you need religion no jesus what about earthquakes we see we could mention things about the oceans what's going on in the oceans jesus talked about that right here if you read it in verse 25 Earthquakes. Here's a headline, and I get up, I was studying a little bit more this early this morning and opened up the news, well, you know, it's online, and we have a major 7 point something earthquake in Taiwan, just a few hours ago, and I'm studying on this subject, but here's the headline. Earthquakes are on the rise in unexpected areas, and it's humanity's fault. I'm not saying it is, that's what they said. The Costa Rica News said, if it seems like earthquakes and erupting volcanoes are happening more frequently, that's because they are. Do your own research. I've watched men in this area just outlining the whole thing. I mean, now we can see it visually. And that's what Jesus said. Famines and plagues and earthquakes and diseases and wars and rumors of wars all happening at once. And again, I remind you what Jesus said. When you see these things coming to pass, look up. Your redemption draws near. If you've ever been in a sport where you're in the last few minutes of that sport, it could be football, it could be boxing, it could be anything, and it, you know, it seems like it's close, or maybe it is close, a good trainer or a good coach is going to say, listen, we've come this far, we've practiced, we've rehearsed, we've done a lot of work. You're going to win this fight. You're going to win this fight. Now get in there. A trainer that you wouldn't want to have is, like, what is the difference? You put up a good fight. Well, I actually had an incident like that some years ago with a football team where I was listening to the coaches on the football team. They were facing a very formidable foe in the area of football. And I was listening to some of the assistants, the coaches saying, well, we'll put up a good fight. Put up a good fight. You're in the game to win it, not put up a good fight. we are gonna knock them out. You gonna give them a good fight, you gonna knock them out. That's why you're in the ring. Young man wants to learn how to box. I called up a friend of mine. I've known him for years. He said, all right, we'll bring him down. We'll see if he can take a punch. I hung up the phone and said, he's out. You don't bring in a fighter to see if he can take a punch. You bring in a fighter to train him how to give one and get out of the way before he gets one. Never went to that trainer. Said so That's not a good trainer. We're in it to win it. And we have Christ. Let me just talk to you about sorcery. And I said, well, that doesn't include me. The works of the flesh in Galatians 5.20 says, Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. Revelation 9.21, as the judgments of God come on the world, it says that they didn't repent of their murders, nor their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. And the word for sorcery that underlies it in the Greek text in both verses is pharmakia, where we get our English word pharmacy. What is pharmakia? What does it mean? It is the administering of drugs. Drugs and the occult have always been associated And why are we seeing so many unexplained phenomena in the lives of people is because the rise of drug abuse. That would include alcohol, by the way. Put you into this other state. Some of us are old enough to remember Timothy Leary's statements about LSD and all of this stuff. And it was all kind of cool until we watched the country go further and further into some very dark places where we are right now, and now it's just not so cool. Now it's not so much fun. You say, I'm not into sorcery. But if you're abusing drugs, uh, this is not talking about the administration of medications given to you by your doctor, although they can cause issues, it's talking about the illegal use of drugs. And any of you who've been on drugs or drank, you will be able to testify, as we all can, some strange thoughts come into your head when you're inebriated. The Problem is, once you're sober, they stay. Thought stays. What about apostasy? Hey, everybody's a Christian. Everybody that goes to church this Sunday morning all over this country, they're Christian. 1 Timothy 4, 1. Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, real spirit beings, that are putting into the minds of the preachers, that are now putting into the minds of the people, so that everybody is convinced this is the truth when it contradicts the plain teaching of the Word of God, either adding to it or taking away from it. So I'll use as an example a question that was put to Joel Osteen just a few years ago, six years ago. It was Easter Sunday, it was an interview on CBS, the Sunday morning program. This question was asked of Joel Osteen, number one, do you feel like you're cheating people by not telling them about the hell part? Now these are secular people saying, hey, we know what the Bible says, what about the hell part? The second question was asked, or the repentance part? Osteen answered, no, I really don't because it's a different approach. My friends, there's only one approach. It's the preaching of this book. That's the only approach. As I've told you repeatedly, I didn't write it. If someone says, I don't like what I'm hearing, understand, I didn't write it. These are not my words, it's his word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Not my word, not your word, his word. It's a different approach. No, there is no different approach. We who are faithful to Christ simply speak, not some things, but anything and everything. Including that we talked about healing today. It all belongs to our Jesus. He continued in this interview, you know it's not hellfire and brimstone, but I say most people are beaten down enough by life. Well, I agree with that. They already feel guilty enough. I don't agree with that, that they're not doing what they should, raising their kids. We can all find reasons, so I want them to come to Lakewood or our meetings and be lifted up. Well, I do too. And you know what he said? I may not be perfect, but I'm moving forward. Well, I could be moving forward. If I move forward enough there and I'm not careful, I'm going to fall right down the stairs. Going forward doesn't mean I'm in the right direction. You can have the right ticket to be on the wrong train. I use him as an example because he's without a doubt the premier figure that we see in the church today. But you can go back a few years further when his interview with Larry King and the same thing. Direct questions asked by a man who's interviewed people like Billy Graham. So he knows the answers. What do you think about hell? Well, we don't go there, he says. Not meaning that we don't go there. We just don't talk about that. Let me tell you, I can go on and on, but I will not. I want to share with you now, we have just crossed the threshold into an area, as I told you earlier. We are flooded with information that is giving unintended testimony to this book. Now, Jesus asked Martha, when he said he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, he said to her, Do you believe this? I'm the resurrection and the life. Do you believe it? That's what you have to ask yourself. You say, well, yeah, I believe this. I believe this. Well, then you go home. You sit down and get quiet and think about how you behave and how you act and all this stuff. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 1 to make sure your life is lining up with this book. Then what will happen is on the inside, something man can't give you, something I can't give you, there's this assurance. You know, when God, even when God is disciplining me, which he does fairly frequently, there's a sense of peace about it. I don't know how to explain this, but his discipline even has a certain amount of gentleness to it. I want to tell you just a couple of things in conclusion. Start looking up. That's not just to be a metaphor, just to go around walking like this all day long. But in your heart, keep your heart straight with God. Amen. And look up. Amen. We must hold to what Jesus taught, having just mentioned to you, I did not write this book. Well, you know that, but I preach it. I don't leave out hell, I don't leave out heaven. I don't leave out healing. I don't leave out prayer. I don't leave out anything that this book mentions because it's the words of God. And we must hold to that. No matter what everybody else is doing, no matter how clever their plans. I gave you a quote from E.M. Bounds a few weeks ago. No matter how clever their plans to, quote, reach the world. There's one way. And I'll mention that here. You look in the book of Acts and Jesus said, don't move. Don't do anything until you're filled with the Holy Spirit. I figured this way, if that's the way Jesus said to do it, that's the way we should do it. Now, I want to just share with you how we hold to what the Bible teaches what Jesus taught the apostles prophets. by giving you something that's known as Foch's Law. Ferdinand Foch was the supreme Allied commander in the First World War. And at one point, at the Battle of Marne, when the German army could have went right through them and right to Paris, he said this. I'm hard pressed on my right, the German army, and the center, they're going to come right through the center. He said, the situation is excellent. I'm attacking. Oddly enough, when I read that, I remembered a man who was in Korea, who fought in Korea, fought in a lot of wars, but he fought in Korea, who was under the command of Chesty Puller, United States Marine Corps. And the same thing happened to them. They were in a battle where they were completely surrounded. He says, well, you know what? We're going to attack. Which is not what you usually see, people coming out like this and surrendering, which does happen. and may at times be the only answer. Foch said, my right is crumbling, my center is crumbling. This is excellent. We're attacking. And not once, but twice, his army there prevented the German army from marching through them and getting to Paris and taking France. My friends, that's what we must do. doesn't matter if everybody else is surrendering white flags and giving up. We must hold the line. We must not let them through. I mean, the devils and the opinions and the heresies, we cannot let them through and we cannot give up. We cannot put up the white flag of surrender because Jesus said not to. He said, endure to the end. And my friends, that is not easy. But that's the orders that came from headquarters. Number one, hold. Number two, attack. How do we attack? Well, now we go to the American Civil War, and the Battle of Little Round Top. Robert E. Lee made a calculated mistake when he came up to the Union Army because the Union Army held the high ground. There they were down there, and they literally marched across a mile of farmland, sitting ducks, targets, basically, for the Union Army. But the problem was this, on top of big round top, where the big guns were, there was little round top over here. So Colonel Joshua Chamberlain was given an order to go down to Little Round Top and hold it there because if the Confederates could flank from Little Round Top, theoretically they could come right behind the Union Army and change the course of that battle and perhaps of the war. There they were, defending the ground, not to let the enemy come through when they ran out of ammunition, a regiment. Confederates had them completely outnumbered and they had ammunition in their guns. Colonel, what do we do? Fix bayonets. They've got bullets, the Union doesn't. Fix bayonets, we're going to attack them. And here's the curious thing of nature, and I believe it will be true in Christianity or in the Church of Jesus Christ, who he promised to build. As we fix our bayonets and we attack the enemy, what happened at the Battle of Little Round Top is that the Confederates figured if they're attacking us, they must have more men than us, and they're gonna kill us and attack us. So they surrendered, only to find out somewhere down the road They had the Union Army outnumbered and had ammunition when the guys that took them captive only had little tiny knives stuck on the end of a rifle. But here's the thing. Military experts say that had the Confederates came around, it could not only change the battle, but the entire outcome of the war. We must fix our bayonets. Small flock, he says, oh, little flock. Fix your bayonets because we're attacking. Sit around and get attacked. We're not going to sit around and watch the right and the center get attacked and simply say, well, what do we do? We fix our bayonets. We're going to attack. And you know what? We're going to win. You know why? Because the battle has been determined of the Lord. Jonathan and his uh, armor bearer, two people, didn't know what to do when they were surrounded by many Philistines. And Jonathan's idea was this. Well, you know, the Lord could save with big army or he could save with just a couple of us. Let's attack them. And they did. And they won. History is filled, both biblical and otherwise, of people outnumbered, people who are against the odds, who say, I'm not sitting back and taking this, I'm attacking. And when? Because of their courage and their bravery, and for us, for the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God behind his own work. So there's two things. We hold to what the book says. Number two, we go forward with it. We prevail through two things, prayer and preaching. Now, I know that you have a good appreciation. Some that are watching by television, many who listen by the way of radio have for 34 years, appreciate preaching, but some don't. That's why we have these little car wash churches. In and out, you're done, everything's clean. We have fast food churches, because that's what the people want. But if a man, well, women too, can watch baseball for three hours and 18 minutes, the average time of a baseball game, can watch football all afternoon, Is someone going to tell me, will you preach too long when it's eternal life that's on the line? I don't think so. We will prevail through prayer, prevailing prayer. And so I bring you back to Finney and the revivals of Finney in the early 19th century. A young man, a lawyer, converted by God, converted by the Holy Spirit, has alongside of him a man by the name of Daniel Nash. Father Nash, who would go out before him and pray, and then they would both pray. They would lock the door and be in there for days just praying over these cities that are all around us. Utica, down here in uh, Schenectady, and all around our state. Rome, New York, Massachusetts, as well as Ohio. This is all familiar to you, not to those watching, but to you it is. But it was Rochester, New York, where some of the strangest things occurred. This unsettling feeling came upon the whole city lawyers, physicians, and merchants were closing their shops in Rochester. And the merchants were saying, we urge you to go to this man's preaching. So you're selling whatever you're selling in 1830 and 1831. You're saying, we're not selling it. We're going to the revival meeting or to the preacher. And we urge you to go too. The city increased its population by two thirds and crime was reduced by the same amount. Two thirds from the preaching of the word of God, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And my friends, that is what we need. When you pray, and you pray for this country, you pray for the politicians, that's biblical. We pray for our leaders, that's also biblical. Pray God would raise up men who are saying, My job is to preach, that will say, like Nehemiah, I'm doing a great work. I can't come down and do all these little things, which pastors are so much, so often subjected to. But we'll say like Nehemiah, no, I cannot. I'm studying the Word of God. And I've got a meeting coming up Sunday or Wednesday, whenever it is, to preach the Word of God. Because that is what has always changed the church. Preaching, effective preaching, and preaching biblically. Prevailing prayer and preaching are the weapons of our warfare. It is not for us to determine who will be added to the church, to the kingdom. That's not in our purview. That's in the purview of God. But what is in your heart and mind to do is called a will. The will to continue to follow Christ, first holding the line, then attacking through prevailing prayer and preaching, which is in my case, well, in this room, I'm basically the only preacher. You leave the doors of this building, you go into the mission field for yourself. I'm always talking about Jesus. You know why? I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Talk about him to him yesterday, to a young man I met for the very first time. Speak about Jesus. In any case, these are our signs. As you watch your news and you're frustrated and angry, take a little rest from that. Sit back and realize that Jesus said, when you see these things begin, and they've been around for quite a while now, look up. For your redemption is very close. So I'll ask the question that's asked in the book of Acts. When they heard the disciples 120 gathered together. They heard them speak in languages that every represented the countries that were there at Jerusalem for the feast. They asked the question, men and brethren, what shall we do? Attack. Hold the line. Then attack. Prevail in prayer. I say this respectfully, obviously, when we're talking about God, but refuse no. God is not wanting to say no, but he's always testing us. How far are you willing to go? And he took a few steps and he said, that's it? that's not a commitment and pray that the pulpits of america and around the world would truly be on fire for christ because biblically speaking that's the only chance we have let's pray father we come before you today in jesus name your word says there will be great falling away from the faith why because lawlessness would abound and the love of many would grow cold i've seen it in my ministry these last 40 plus years I still see it now. The coldness of the horns, tough times, stressful. And acknowledging that, we're still commanded, go forward, attack, fix the bayonet. And as Esther said, if I perish, I perish. But I'm not going to sit here and wave a white flag. God help us today to hold this area of the country that you've given to us, little round top here, it may seem insignificant. It does to many. This is the area you've told us to take. there's others watching from all around the world right now from countries that i mentioned in the message and yet we say to you father even so come lord jesus maranatha maranatha lord help us to prevail in prayer because you have a way of letting us pray and pray and just being silent waiting to see if we will persevere if we will not stop and we will not quit give us that ruggedness that determination not given the ground over. Not in our families, not in our homes, certainly not in a professing church. Hold to your word, hold to prayer, and to your standards and your principles and your promises as well. God help us. God, I pray for the children, that we as parents and grandparents would be able to influence them for good and that you would put your hand on them to protect them from the evil that's in this world. Touch the young parents that have to raise them. And cause them to have the wisdom and the courage once again to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Nurture and admonition of the Lord, Jesus Christ, without being ashamed. Give us wisdom to discern, to know. In short, help us. Help us, O oh God. I finished God, by saying when Jehoshaphat was surrounded and the situation truly was impossible for them to win that battle, like our American Revolution jehoshaphat was honest before you in prayer he says we have no might against this great company that comes up against us neither know we what to do but our eyes are upon thee let that be the testimony of everyone that hears this message that their eyes are looking up toward the heavens where you went and where you're from you will return So, father we leave this service today we leave the building but never your presence no matter where we go you're there Help us to be reminded all the time, when we wake up, to the time we go to bed, to be loving you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. Help us, God, to do that. Then, not just here, in this fellowship, but wherever we find the brethren around the world, cause us to love them, cause us to be soul winners. And we'll give you all the praise, we'll give you all the glory, we'll give you all the honor, in Jesus' mighty name. Can you say amen this morning? Amen. Amen.